0: Welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and today I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Dr. Leah Claiborne. Dr. Leah Claiborne promotes diversity in the arts by championing piano music by Black composers in her performance, research, and teaching. She has established the first diversity, equity, and inclusion column for American Music Teacher, where she regularly publishes articles providing resources and support to music educators across the country. Dr. Claiborne was recently named the inaugural winner of the stitcher and horowitz power of innovation award through music teacher national association for her artistic excellence pedagogical leadership nurturing spirit, and community service. This prize is given to a teaching artist under the age of 36 who is making significant impact in the field of music. Dr. Claiborne serves as the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the Francis Clark Center and serves as the co-chair of the DEI track for the National Conference of Keyboard Pedagogy. Dr. Claiborne has performed across the United States, Germany, Italy, Czech Republic, and Japan. She is a highly sought-after adjudicator and clinician in national piano competitions. In the past year alone, she has an invited guest lecture. For master masterclasses, seminars, and recitals in California, Washington, Michigan, Arizona, Minnesota, Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, Maryland, New York, New Jersey, and Washington, D.C. Dr. Claiborne received early promotion with tenure at the University of the District of Columbia, where she serves as coordinator of keyboard studies and teaches the history of African-American music. Welcome, Leah. It's so great to have you. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing well. I'm so excited for this. Thank you for the invitation, Olivia.
0: Well, absolutely. (laughs) You're, you're an easy ass. I always like to start off my interviews with the same question. And that is what led you down the path of becoming a musician? What's that origin story for you?
1: Yeah. So I always grew up in a family where music was just everywhere, primarily jazz music, actually not classical. So my journey to classical music was not the start of it all, but my dad is a jazz uh, bass player. So he would always have just the great uh, jazz Artist playing on his turntable. And what I would love to do was sit at his feet and just listen to um, not only the music, but listen to his stories about how these musicians changed their world, essentially, and their society. Mm. I just thought musicians were, you know, these everyday heroes. So that's what I really wanted to do um, because I grew up knowing that musicians were activists. I didn't have that term at the the time, but that's how I always viewed musicians to be. So my dad put my sister and I in classical piano music, but we wanted to do jazz. (laughs) We both very much wanted (laughs) to do jazz. And then my first teacher, she became... A family member, really, um, more like a godmother, if, if anything, is the closest thing you could say to that. And I just stuck with classical um, because I, I loved her. Um, I loved the music. And um, yeah, then the. I guess the rest is history. I just, I never turn back.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that like those early piano teachers are just Mm -hmm. such a powerful influence. Um, I feel the same way. Whenever I go back to Saskatoon, I always go and visit my old piano teachers. I love that. You're exactly right. It's like, they're a part of, they're a part of you. They're a part of your family. And I think private music teachers have that privilege of being able to sort of like shepherd a student from the early stages, right up until, you know, know, graduation or or beyond um, and sort of see their musical growth, whereas um, classroom music teachers don't, they don't get that, that privilege because they
1: usually teach the same grade year after year. That's so true. You know, I don't think I ever thought of it that way, but it's, it's one of the professions that as you progress and journey on, you're still with that same person. That's Yeah, that's true. It's very beautiful.
0: I came to know you through your research on the piano music of Black composers in your mm-hmm. 2018 dissertation mm-hmm. and immediately fell in love with your work because you were willing to talk about something and expose something in piano performance and pedagogy that few people at the time were willing to talk about. And that also inspired me to to give voice to that as, as well. And I was wondering if you could talk more about that research and what led you down the path of researching the piano music of black composers?
1: Yeah. So this journey started in a couple different ways. One is that I always felt incredibly isolated as I pursued uh, my degree in piano, classical piano music, right? My undergrad, there were no, or actually both for undergrad and graduate studies, there were, um, Never any faculty that were Black in the piano departments. There are very few Black classical pianists in my degree programs. Um, When I was at Michigan, there were absolutely no uh, Black students studying classical piano music. Absolutely no Black faculty doing classical piano either. So I had to find community. (laughs) It was was just so vital for me. Um, And I realized that because of that isolation was actually... it became a positive point because it it forced me to go outside and broaden my reach um, and find and find community. So for me, what did community look like? And it was yes, my immediate environment, but it was also my field, my pedagogy field, right? And I wanted to find ways to think about five-year-old Leah, what would it have been like to have more music by someone who looked like me as I was growing up? I think that would have been so impactful and it would have changed a lot of my views about classical music. (laughs) So when I was in grad school, I had a fantastic uh, mentor. The chair of my dissertation committee is Dr. John Ellis, who leads the pedagogy uh, department at University of Michigan. And little did I know his own teacher, Arthur Cunningham, incredible Black composer, was his teacher as well. So the idea when I came to him and I said, I think I want to start doing some research on the impact of Black composers in pedagogy. He was just all for it. He was not just all for it, but super excited. And I didn't even know that he already had like this wealth of knowledge as well. So it was just like a beautiful moment, you know, because I knew that with whatever I found, and I had no idea how much I would find, that I had so much support already from the person who was, you know, helping me lead the way during this degree. So for me, I went in very blindly and very ignorant. (laughs) feeling like, I don't know what I'm going to find, if anything. Um, and I realized very quickly that the issue was that there was so much music Um, I used to say too much, but there was so much music that I needed to figure out how to focus my dissertation work. So that's when I came up with with the idea of leveling this piano music so that at every single stage right, of a a student's growth, that they would know that there would be some type of representation by Black composers, which again is something I, I didn't have. And then the other part of that, which is almost more important to me with the need to find community that was within the pedagogy field, but also within my university within my institution at the time, I really wanted to have students, Black students, coming into the university so that they could also have hands-on materials of this music as well. So for me, it wasn't just about writing about the music for a dissertation that I'm so glad you read, but maybe most people won't read. (laughs) <laughs> but that it was, the music was actually being utilized by the Black community as well. Um, and then seeing Black teachers teaching that music as well. I can't tell you how incredible that program and just kind of bringing everything together has meant to me. And it really has pretty much structured my path within my career as well.
0: That is amazing. It's so great to hear that story come from your mouth. I. I have a similar story in that, like, I'm of Japanese Canadian descent mm-hmm. and I never played music by a woman or an Asian woman until I wow. was in university. And my amazing teacher, Bonnie Nicholson, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> piece of music called I Leap Through the Sky with Stars. And it was like, it was the first time I felt like I belonged as a musician, yeah. That was like, and I remember we were doing toasts at our last masterclass, and she was just like, Olivia you found your voice. Oh, and I yeah. was like, and I st- like, I'll never, I'll never forget it yeah. as long as I live.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so uh I get emotional just thinking about that because yeah, it's like when you find your voice, it's like you find a place and like you yeah, find yeah. like you are worthy and you deserve to be in this space. And sometimes it just takes that one piece, right. That a teacher gives you to, to yeah. open that up and to, to give you that validation. So gosh, I love that for you. I love
0: that for us. <laughs> yeah. In your research, you talk mm-hmm. about reaching out to a well-known music organization and asking mm-hmm. them why their syllabus didn't include the music of Black composers, save some yeah, yeah. Oscar Peterson. And you were met with a bit of a colorblind response. Mm-hmm. I've received similar responses to my research, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if you've seen a change in the representation of the music of Black composers within educational institutions in the last couple of
1: years. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say that at the time, it, it was gut wrenching, right? Yeah. Because it was yeah. just another reminder to me, like with all this work, even though I'm feeling super proud of it, I'm getting great um, feedback from my immediate surroundings that the big industry, um, if you want to call them gatekeepers, if you will, the ones that have the most the louder voices at the time, they still weren't willing to make a change. However, we all are on our journey at different paths and, you know, with the pandemic and all of the social justice issues that have come up, you know, we, we've seen a bit, I'd say a bit of a reckoning um, within our industry. So people are making steps, right. And these same institutions, publication companies that gave me a no before are also the ones reaching out to me now to help make change. Right. So with, with that I always tell people everyone is going to be on this journey at a different place and we can't fault anybody for where they're coming at. The point is that when they come to the table that we're meeting them with resources and empathy and just willing to to make change because because that's what it's about. So. Yes, there are changes. I still personally feel that um, it's not enough. It's not nearly enough compared to what is actually represented out there. But it's a very, it's a start. It's a small start, but it's a start.
0: There's so much history that we're not talking about. Like, right, because we're talking about, (laughs) I'm doing a lot of research on the piano music canon with big air quotations. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The canon as defined by, you know, Euro Western male composers. And what I'm looking at is like competition programs and text books and the composers that we're talking about, I'm like, well, it's the same list of 14 composers pretty much that just keep repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating. And what I love about the work that you're doing is you're showing us that there's just this wealth and rich, rich history of music that we're not talking about. And I mean, we are in need. (laughs) (laughs) The canon needs to be shaken up. We are absolutely in need of it. So I just really appreciate that. A couple of years ago, I attended a talk of yours. I think it was at an MTNA conference, but I can't be sure the title was along the lines of piano music by black composers for all skin colors and I wondered Mm -hmm. would you be willing to talk more about why that's important that we teach the music of black composers not just to our black students often in like to my research people will say oh isn't it great that girls can now play music by female composers but as we know it's so much bigger than that and I wonder can you say that
1: yeah I I so appreciated you you saying that because one when I give presentations or I do lecture recitals I always tell people I I don't even focus so much that this this is a piece by a black composer because I think one the music speaks for itself Mm -hmm. um whatever angle I'm talking about if it's a pedagogical purpose the pedagogy speaks for itself right the musicality the technical challenges how a student's going to develop with the piece I just let that be the forefront of all my scholarship and then the cherry on top is that yes it's also by a Black composer and look at all the history that was happening during the time of this individual, right? So the music for me, is it's always first because I think... Yeah. If we're talking about selling this to music (laughs) teachers or selling this to colleges or to audiences, they want to know what they're there for, which is the music. And it should be the heart of everything that we do. With that being said, I also like to ask people a lot of times just to flip the script, right? Think about me. I identify as a black female, right? And I've only studied music by dead white men for so long. So then the question would be what am I doing or what right do I have to study this music, right? Of course I'm studying this music because I love it because music has a way to really, you know, we don't have to think about skin tone or race or class when we're talking about universal feelings of love and grief and sorrow and uh, trauma, right? Mm-hmm. These are universal feelings that we all, you know, we all feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. the same way, the same way with with black composers, our women composers, are we're all humans and we're all expressing something that we can all, um, we all have experienced. So perhaps perhaps the start of my scholarship was maybe a little selfish thinking about five-year-old Leah and then it developed to my community of Black youth at the time. But now it's it's so much bigger than that. It's the community is the pedagogy field. The community is the, the piano performance field. And, you know, they're reckoning that they need they (laughs) the powers that be need (laughs) need to start sorting out and create more spaces for these incredible composers to have a place absolutely
0: you are the founder of ebony music which is an incredible educational organization that highlights the music of black pianists and composers and i wondered if you could talk more about your foundation and the important work that ebony does and then can you tell us more about the educational resources that you have there like the the database yeah so
1: ebony music, it, it started off really, honestly, even before the nonprofit, it was it was coming to fruition when I was at University of Michigan with this program, with creating resources by Black composers for Black youth. Not just Black youth, though, but there was so many times every single Saturday that I was teaching in that program where I realized that there were so many families who were also being educated as well that they didn't know that they're, that they could go to a concert hall. One, that they didn't know um, the questions would be like, well, what should I wear? What should I dress like? When do I clap, right? There was so much education that was being given to the community at large, but there were certain questions that also reminded me of, okay, This is a space where people have not felt welcomed um, or never had that invitation. And for me, I thought about, too, it wasn't until I was in high school that I even saw a a professional Black pianist, Abadajan Pratt, um, coming to Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. And that was just mind-blowing for me. So the, the idea first of Ebony Music is that representation It matters, and it makes such a huge difference—not just to Black communities, but for again for our community, for our field at large—that there are so many of us out here doing incredible work. So you can call on us (laughs) instead of this, you know, the 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 small chosen few that you that you keep—I don't want to say recycling, but keep utilizing, right? And then the other part, yes, with the database. There have been so many databases that have come, you know, even within like the last three or four years. And I love research. I know you love research. That's what we do. Absolutely. Right. (laughs) But I'm also completely aware just listening to teachers and, you know, people feel different ways about this, but sometimes teachers actually don't like databases. They feel like it's too overwhelming. So with that being said, one thing that we did with Music Teachers National Association is that we started creating a top 10 list that we're going to keep recycling every single year. So that we can do a lot of focus and a lot of education, bring out um, the life of these composers and the music that they're creating, ten, 10 pieces for the junior level, 10 pieces for the senior level, and then 10 pieces for the young artist level. So that teachers can really, they need to do their homework and in, in their yeah. research as well, that they need to they need to come to the table what, willing to learn and educate themselves. So each year we're, we're doing a big focus on 10 pieces at these different levels that teachers can start utilizing. And then this year was our was our kickoff year at NCNA, which was at, in Reno. And we were able to award uh, the Ebony Prize. Yeah, we were super, super excited about it. That at mainly excited too, because at every single level, there was someone at the national level who performed a piece by a Black composer. So I thought that was absolutely huge not on our part, but it's a testament to the music community that teachers across the country are really taking this music seriously at the same level as Beethoven and Bach and Chopin. So that was a really beautiful moment. And I have to tell you these performances, I was just crying the whole time. I was I was moved by Florence Price um, at the junior level. I was moved by William Grant Still at the senior level. Absolutely floored and moved by uh, Anthony Green, a living composer, living Black composer at the young artist level. So there there are waves uh, happening, um, and I'm I'm grateful to be locking arms with with people like you and, and other people to to try to make some real change. Yeah,
0: I really liked that idea of focusing on 10 pieces for each level because I'm with you that sometimes it's like the music feels overwhelming. You're like where where do I start? Yeah. And I think that teachers often turn to, you know, an RCM book or a Faber book or just because they know they know the music and they're familiar mm-hmm. with it. And yeah. so we have to be willing to do our own education of learning more music and not mm-hmm. that we need to scrap all of the repertoire that we've ever taught, but just slowly adding in more and more of the Those pedagogical pieces you introduced me to in one of your workshops to. the the piece crisscross by oh, yeah. Florence Price and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that I'd have to say that is some of my students favorite like yeah. pieces because they love they love doing it at different tempos different yeah. articulations they love the fun of crossing their hands they think it looks super professional which they it love does it.
1: <laughs> they're a virtual seeer all you know overnight <laughs>
0: exactly exactly and so I think that that is so important that we're slowly adding it doesn't mean okay scrap all of the music that you've taught yeah. for the last 20 years. And we're going to replace it with new music, but continue to grow your, your teaching repertoire. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, you are a professor at the University of DC, but you also have some publicly available courses through the Francis Clark Center. And I wonder if you could let our audience know more about these courses. We have a lot of music teachers that tune in. So I think that they will be of, of help because we can't all sit in your
1: classes at the Yeah. yeah. So this, the first course was, I'm going to Heroes. Uh, 20 Pieces by Black Composers for All Skill Levels. I think that's the official title. So that's published to the Francis Clark Center. Um, That was so much fun. I have to tell you, like, it, I mean, for, it was a lot of work, but it was also yeah. a lot of fun. It was fun because... One, I was able to work with dear, dear friend of mine, Dr. Artin McCain, who's another just a powerhouse pianist person, pedagogue, and then also Dr. Leah Jensen Abbott, another powerhouse uh, musician, pianist, pedagogue. And they were two people who at the time, I don't think I had actually met either of them, but loved their research had impacted my research as well. So I invited them to, to join me in this course. And it's always so much better when you're collaborating. Operating with other people on a topic that you love, a topic that you know could do a lot to help change your field. So that was that course. We have music for beginning levels, um, intermediate, and advanced levels. And again, we're talking about the pedagogy first. Right? What is the student going to gain um, when they learn this piece? And then we do teaching demonstrations, through videos. We do articles for the history of the composers. I think there's like some questions in there for you know reflections for the teachers as well. So yeah, that that was I think that was t- 2019 or 2020 um, that the course came out. I just do have to say Francis Clark in general has a lot of other courses. They have the Women Composers course. Um, They just launched the Latin American Composers course, which I think is something wild, like 88 pieces that's within that course. And then we're just finishing up another course that I created in partnership with the Francis Clark Center and Dr. T. McCain and Dr. Susie Garcia. We don't have a title yet. (laughs) We don't have (laughs) a title yet. It's coming out soon. I think it's coming out in June, perhaps September, but the idea, whether we want to call it anti-racist practices to be mindful of when we're teaching or another title that's out there is best pedagogy practices in the lens of DEI. I'm really excited about that course too, because it's allowing the teacher to be accountable for their resources and how they're teaching in their studio, no matter where you live in this country. So really taking a deep dive in the method books that are the most popular, looking at what is represented what's not, looking at the images, looking at the titles, looking at the lyrics, letting teachers know about the history when some of these melodies come from the minstrel show. We're also looking at diverse literature, the scope that's represented in a lot of these larger publications, what's not represented, talking about appropriation with some of the music. We're also looking at something that's very, very dear to my heart is equitable practices, how to make more music available to more people. And we're not saying you need to change your business model. But no matter where you are in the country, this country is still so incredibly segregated, whether we want to admit it or not. There are certain neighborhoods where certain people just know to go based on their skin tone or based on their class. And then we are, as pianists, we're positioned in those in those neighborhoods as well. But if you just go maybe an exit over or two exit over, you're in a completely different neighborhood. So these are really looking at ways. We invited experts who have done incredible incredible work with really trying to start bridging those gaps a little bit, how they have gone about diversifying their student body, uh, excuse me, their student population, their demographic by reaching out and, and providing resources, being creative with their business model so that more students can have access to high quality music. That's fantastic. That yeah. is going to be an
0: incredible resource, I think, to piano teachers everywhere. I hope so.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking
0: forward to it. We're, we're starting to wrap it up. so. <laughs> We'll see how it all comes together. When yeah. that launches, I will be sure to to have that linked. What are you enjoying in your musical life right now? We were just talking before we started recording yeah. <laughs> the travel schedule in
1: spring is is wild <laughs> is wild you know things i i'm super grateful first of all but it, it's it's a crazy time yes there's just a lot more traveling because i think people people are opening their doors right yeah. we're yeah. out of covid um hopefully for yeah. for a while <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, so I'm, I'm traveling a lot more doing a lot more performances doing a lot more lectures. And I, I love it. it. It makes all the difference when you can speak to someone in person, they can, you know, feel your heart and they can feel your passion. And also they can hear your own passion when you sit at the piano. And as we were saying earlier, you can always tell when someone feels like they're at home with their music and they found their voice with their music. And I'm so grateful to be able to to share that with a lot of different music teachers. I was going through a list. I don't even want to say the number, but the amount of states that I've either done virtual or now in-person recitals, lecture recitals or keynotes for, I'm just, I just keep saying grateful because it's, it's, it's an exciting time for, for the field. And I'm grateful to give the opportunity to to share my research with them. Fantastic. What are you
0: looking forward to in your musical life right now? What am I looking for?
1: Mainly, um, finishing up deadlines, (laughs) finishing up a lot of deadlines. I'm doing a lot of publishing, which is something that I started over COVID, doing a lot more publishing, doing a lot more writing. The thing I'm most looking forward to immediately, I'm done it, which I'm happy to say. But in May, I have two books that are coming out from Hal Leonard, which is yeah. Piano Music for the Very Beginning Pianist by Black Composers. So that's a two volume book. And I'm i am just so excited about it because there's a, not a lot. There's great resources out there by Black composers readily available, but there's this sweet spot that I feel is not touched as well, which is the very beginning pianist. So someone who's in that primer level method book that they can pull out this book and have something in the five finger pattern, or maybe a little bit outside of that with just your quarter notes and half notes. Mm -hmm. And you can still see that these are by Black composers. So the first book is for your very beginning pianist to elementary. And then the second book is late elementary to early intermediate. So I'm really excited. Again, it's done. You can even pre-order it now if you wanted, but the big oh, announcement. I'm definitely will, pre-ordering. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the big announcement comes out uh, in May. So that that's something I, I'm looking forward to is just being out and done because it's been it's been a long project. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Congratulations on that. I'm really excited for those to come out and put them to good use in my studio. During COVID, I didn't Mm -hmm. start any new beginners because being mm-hmm. on, like that sort of whiplash of online in person, online in person. Yeah. We had a, quite a few lockdowns here in uh, Ottawa. Yeah, And so I was like, you know what, it's not like a good environment to just start somebody online when I can't, you know, have them in my studio cons- on a consistent basis. And so then I had quite a few on my waiting list and this year I opened it up and I was, now I'm teaching beginners, which I have not taught beginners in a few years because yeah. of, of right and so it's like, oh yeah, right, back to that five finger pattern. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. How many ways can we make this melody work? Yeah, exactly.
0: So looking forward to those resources coming out. Well, it has been such a pleasure getting to chat with you. Is there anything we didn't get to that uh, that you want to talk about?
1: No, I just want to say I, I have to tell you too, Olivia, I, I've just been a fan of your work as well. So it's it's been such, yeah, really an, an honor to, to know the work that you're doing, to know the impact that you're doing, not just with the dissertation, but with your, your advocacy and all your conferences, lectures, and then this podcast as well. It's really, really encouraging. And I hope that everyone who listens to this, whatever your passion is to know that there are other people most likely doing some type of the same work. So we, we make the change by linking arms. So thank you for reaching out to me because I'm huge fangirling as well.
0: (laughs) Um, I'm huge fangirling too. Thank you for your really kind words. I told you before you um, but You are one of my research heroes and sort of were a step ahead of me and, and showed that my, my research could also be advocacy um, absolutely, and it could, it could result in tangible change. And so I'm so grateful for the model that you've set and the work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. We're going to wrap up our chat with a few rapid fire questions. No wrong answers. All right. Can you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician?
1: Point to a moment. Being at my dad's feet, listening to these, the jazz music. Yeah. Record albums reading those. Yeah.
0: I love that. Ooh. Favorite piece or song to perform currently?
1: Ooh, currently. Um, I Smith, Pasicalia, and C sharp minor. Ooh. Mm. Have you ever
0: been given bad career advice? What was it? I'm gonna say no. And I,
1: I this is the reason why. Because I feel that even if it was wrong advice, I learned something from it. Mm-hmm. And I often like to say, every time there's a no, you can also realize where the yes is very close by. I
0: like that. What's some good music or career advice you can pass on to other musicians? It's a
1: loaded one, right? I would say the biggest (laughs) one is that it takes time to find your voice um, and to be patient with yourself because you can't, if I could tell myself something you can't, uh, experience is everything. And the way my life has unfolded, even to this day right now, I'm so grateful for all of those moments. And the reason I can, come to a stage with so much more confidence, or I can say things more boldly or write about them more boldly is because of everything that's impacted me up to this moment. So be patient with yourself um, and keep cultivating your voice because it's unique and no one else
0: has it I love that something I tell my students we're we're gearing up for festival season our festival here in Ottawa starts next or this week oh Jesus! yeah Um, (laughs) and I told them I said even if somebody plays the same piece as you in the same class no one is going to play it like you can because you are the only person that can play it that way love it so I think that's great advice what music are you listening to right now am I listening to right now a lot of
1: Tims. I I actually don't listen to classical music that often I know it's terrible
0: That's, no, that's um, you know what
1: everyone says that
0: everyone goes. I know this is I should be listening to classical music, but I don't. And I was like, we're around it all the time, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, my I've been listening to a lot of Tims, a lot of Erica Badu, just like you know older hits. And last night I was listening to Dixie Chicks. I know people are like, what? But I actually grew up (laughs) listening to a lot of country music. So I, I, yeah, that's, it's all over the place, but that's me in general. So (laughs) I
0: love it. Well, thanks for coming on loud and clear. Do you mind letting our audience know where they can find you? Of course you can find,
1: what do you want? Like social handles, social or yeah. We Claiborne for um, Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. And if you wanted to write me an email, it's leah.claybourne at UDC, which is University District of Columbia.edu.
0: Amazing. I'll have links to everything that we've referenced in the show notes. Thanks again for coming on and talking music yeah. with me. Thanks so much, Olivia. Have a good one. Take care. Bye well i hope you enjoyed that conversation with dr claiborne and learning about all the incredible work that she is doing i was so thrilled to be able to interview one of my research heroes i also want to send a huge congratulations her way as it is book launch week for her i know that if you are a piano teacher you're really going to love these books i'm excited to dive into them with my students if you want to help an author out. The two best things that you can do are order the book during launch week or pre-order the books and also provide a written review on the website that you purchased it on. If you buy the books in a store, head over to Amazon and give a five-star rating and review. I know that these books will be valuable resources to music teachers everywhere. And then of course, be sure to give Dr. Claiborne a follow and tell her thanks for being on the show. Speaking of reviews, would you please do this podcast a huge favor and wherever you listen to? podcast, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It helps our episodes get to new listeners who might not have heard of us before. Our listener base is growing every month all over the world, so we're very excited about that. But if you could help us out by letting people know about the podcast sharing it on social media or sending a link to a friend who might enjoy it. That would be awesome. Well, that is going to do it for our episode this week. As always, I want to give a huge thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for sponsoring this podcast. Thanks to Yash for keeping it updated on ConcertStream.tv and thanks to the rest of the SSO team for helping all the behind the scenes run smoothly. You can find more about the SSO's upcoming season by going to their website, SaskatoonSymphony.org. Subscription packages are on for a great deal right now. If you want to subscribe for the upcoming concert season. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast week after week. I love getting to share our guests with all of you, our listeners. My name is Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and you can find me at OA Music Studios on the interwebs, and we'll see you back
1: here next week. Bye-bye.